Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, your word is like a mirror showing us what we are like and how we need to change. And as we uh, see what Jesus is like this morning, help us to be changed, to be more like him, uh, to be the church that he is indeed, indeed building. Help us to grow in our care for one another and in our outreach. Help us to be inclusive for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How inclusive is St. John's Church down Shire Hill? How inclusive are we as a church family? I wonder what you think. Being inclusive is very now. It's held dear by the culture and the world that we live in. Inclusivity matters. But uh, often the world struggles to do inclusivity well. The church also struggles to do inclusivity well. These verses are going to help us to think about that topic this morning, the way our church ought to be, both outward-looking to the world, but also inwardly caring for one another. It's challenges for us together as a fellowship and challenges for us individually. At a friend's house, uh, he and his neighbor have two very different doormats. One doormat says, welcome. The other doormat next door says, you again. Which is most like St. John's Church? We know, in theory, the answer. How do we need to change to make sure that that is true, that we are welcoming and an inclusive church? Our passage this morning is trying to help us to see what Jesus is like, that we might grow more like Jesus. We're back in Matthew this morning. We've been seeing in these verses, last time we were here, how Jesus is building his church, starting to gather his people, and we've been learning who is part of that and who is not. We're going to have two divisions this morning. The first heading is, is covering verses 21 to 28, and the heading I've given that is this, the king's mercy, outsiders are brought inside. The king's mercy, outsiders are brought inside. Now, if you just glance back in chapter 15 to the first half, we're reminded that last time we saw the Pharisees and the tax collectors, the leaders come to see Jesus from Jerusalem. And everyone would have thought they were the insiders that they were at the very head of God's people on earth. 
but they are rejected by Jesus, sent away after they've rejected Jesus. They are shown as being outside God's people. Much to the surprise of the disciples and to those who would have been reading this first time. You see, insiders were thought to be the Jewish people, those who were born as part of Israel, the nation God that, had, that God had specially chosen in the Old Testament, had loved and cared for. Outsiders were the non-Jews, every other nation, the Gentiles. Commonly, uh, the Jews would have described other nations as the dogs. That's how their world was divided. Something similar to being a Londoner. Everybody inside the M25, and then there's everybody outside the M25. There's London and outside London. Every other nation, insiders and outsiders. If you were born outside of Israel, there was nothing you could do. You were unclean in God's eyes. And Jesus touched on that in the verses just before our reading. That actually that's not what makes someone unclean to God. It's what is in our hearts that make us unclean to God. And in that sense, Jesus was saying, everyone is unclean or everyone is an outsider to God to begin with. Now, to the Pharisees and the tax collectors, this woman that we meet in our verses was doubly insignificant. One, she was a woman. They wouldn't even teach her. And secondly, she was a Canaanite from Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile, a dog in their eyes. And yet this woman, on her lips, is a surprise confession as she comes to Jesus. She has recognized that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of David. Do you see that in verse 22? As she cries to him, this is how she addresses him, as the King of the Jews, and she comes crying for mercy. You see, the suffering of her daughter, who's demon-possessed, has caused her to turn from her own religion, from her own beliefs, and to turn to Jesus. She's not Jewish, and she understands that she has no right or claim on Jesus, and she simply comes and cries for the king's mercy. And strangely, did you notice that Jesus says nothing? Not a word, Matthew says. So his disciples then speak up and they ask Jesus to send her away. She's crying out. And then Jesus does speak in verse 24. And he says, he says this. He answered them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now this has sort of come up before when he 
previously sent his disciples out on mission. He said, do not go amongst the Gentiles, just go to the lost sheep of Israel. But now here is Jesus in Gentile territory, in Tyre and Sidon, and this woman is still looking to him. And Jesus replies to her appeal. Her appeal is this in verse 25, Lord, help me. She's on her knees. And Jesus' reply in verse 26 just sounds rude, except we know how the story ends and that he cares. What does his reply in verse 26 actually mean? It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, I think it serves in two ways. First, it says what he's just said to his disciples. He was sent to first feed the children of Israel. Secondly, it seems to work in a way that provokes a response with this lady. It tests what she believes. And verse 27 shows that she agrees with Jesus. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. And then she adds something else that's true. Verse 27, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. In other words, what she has discerned is it's right that the family dogs look to their master to be fed. She has discerned that if the master cares, there should be something for the dogs under the table. In that moment, she grasps what maybe even the disciples haven't yet twigged. She believes that Jesus' mission would reach wider than just Israel and that Jesus is her Lord and Master. And that seems to be confirmed to us in verse 28 when Jesus commends her faith as great and heals her daughter as a sign that she's trusted him, as a sign that she's been brought in. And it's all because of the king's mercy. An outsider has been brought inside. My family used to uh, holiday regularly in St. Andrews. And we would walk alongside in St. Andrews the hallowed turf of the St. Andrews old course where they play lots and lots of important golf matches. For those of you who are not golfers, which probably is quite a few, it's, it's like a good walk being spoiled, <laughs> at least the way I play it. My dad used to tell the story of, of how they were watching one year and thinking about buying a ticket to go and see the Open, the big competition of the year. But being Scottish, these tickets cost a lot of money. And then they found out that after five o'clock, there was a bus 
where you could get a £5 ticket and entrance under the ropes and in to the hallowed turf. Mum and Dad were all over that, in a flash, on the bus at five o'clock, but there was nobody to take the money. So they sit down, the bus drives off, they're told to get off the bus, nobody says anything. Mum and Dad are sort of looking around, got the wallet there, five pounds ready, nobody asking for anything. So they stop a steward and they say, how do we get in? To which he says, you're in. You're in. To which mom and dad can't believe it. They still want to pay. This is where the illustration breaks down a wee bit. But this lady had understood that she could be brought in by Jesus. And as we go on in Matthew's gospel, we'll find that she's brought in because Jesus has paid the cost, done what was needed by his death on the cross so that outsiders could be brought in to his people. Jesus welcomes all that is how inclusive he is. The only requirement that is placed on his people is to have, what does this verse show us, this section? Faith in him. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves and who we are and what we've done. And it's actually all about who Jesus is and what he's done. Who Jesus is and what he's doing. This lady, she grew up surrounded by people with different beliefs. She was born in a different religion. No one else in that place believed in Jesus. In her suffering and helplessness, she decided to come to Jesus. Sometimes that is how God works in our lives. Sometimes he uses terribly hard things to turn us to himself. And then she simply comes and bows before Jesus as her Lord and asks for mercy and for his help. And he welcomes her. He welcomes anyone to turn, who turns to him. We all start as outsiders with God. So we all need to stop and turn to Jesus. Many of us here this morning will remember a day when we did just that, a moment when we realized, I need to stop and turn to Jesus. Many of us here this morning may also still be waiting to do that. Turn to Jesus. You can do it this morning. If we've already been found by his mercy, then we need to remember this in our evangelism. It seems the disciples needed to learn this. They seemed to be unexpectant when the lady came to Jesus. Perhaps unexpectant because of 
where they were or who she was. And it's easy for that to drip into disciples' thinking today in daily life, to be unexpectant about those around us because of where we are or who they are. In the interactions of the day, just think for a moment of those we spend time with, friends, family, people we are next to through the working day, classmates, colleagues, our neighbors, or those who, who just unexpectedly cross our paths, seeming to just interrupt life, getting in the way. Are we in danger of being a bit like the disciples? I fear I am. This is hard. To be truly outward looking, to be, to be inclusive, we need God's help. That the mercy that found us will help us to reach out to others, to include them in our prayers, in conversations. Not ruling them out because of who they are, but reaching out because of what we've grasped about who Jesus is and what he does. He is the merciful king who brings outsiders inside. But what then will life be like inside his people? For Gentiles, crumbs from the master's table. It, it sounds a bit second rate, which is why we need to understand the next set of verses, verses 29 to 39. I've given a second heading. If you're scribbling down, here it is. The king's compassion. Insiders are cared for equally. The king's compassion. Insiders are cared for equally. You know, at first reading, we seem to have been here before. We've got the t-shirt. We were at the feeding of the 5,000, but this is more healings, mass feeding miracle. Why? But actually, Matthew wants us to see what's different in this section. He wants us to see that it's now being repeated, but with Gentiles. So in verses 29 to 31, when we have all these healings, at the end, we're told that the great crowd, verse 31, praised the God of Israel. What's being repeated is being repeated with people from other nations. So this woman in our first section was not just a one-off. And as we go on through this section, we read Jesus, his words in verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. His disciples then have a bit of a disciple moment. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? But isn't that how we are, quick to forget and slow to believe? And Jesus is now ready to repeat what he had done before. 
He's showing us how he treats all types of people who come to him and who stay with him. So Jesus shows his compassion for these people too by miraculously feeding them as he fed the 5,000. And the details are different to emphasize it's with a Gentile crowd, right down to the word for baskets in the original, which is a Gentile word as opposed to a Jewish word used in 5,000. What we see here is Jesus doing God of Israel things again. It should remind us of another people in a wilderness with just God to rely on. As the people came out of Egypt in the Exodus. And what's happened there is happening here as the God of Israel miraculously feeds his people again. Sometime uh, a while back, Tom preached on that passage from Exodus and talked about daily bread for God's people as they travel. And I remember one phrase that has stuck with me since then that we will have enough for today and that we know God will be there for us tomorrow. That is the care that Jesus offers. This is what we see, Jesus caring for his people. So it's not just crumbs. It's wonderful to grasp this personally this morning, to understand this as a disciple. It's great news if you are feeling the weariness and tiredness of life. Encouragement that Jesus does not send his people into the world without care or provision that we are encouraged to pray and trust our Heavenly Father for daily bread. Where will this daily bread come from? From Jesus. He is the one who feeds us with the bread of life and promises daily provision that will meet our needs and that he will be there for us tomorrow again. In Matthew's gospel, we're given some wonderful pictures of our Heavenly Father's care. We're told that he is the one who cares for every single sparrow and that we are worth more than those sparrows. He is the one who knows the number of hairs on our heads, how much that means to me, how much more it means to you. He knows us and the details of our lives and he cares for his children, every single child. It's also wonderful to grasp 
this vision that we're given here together as a church because it's an inclusive picture of the new people of God. In the reading, the second reading from Ephesians that Logan read earlier, we're told about the church being made up of Jews and Gentiles, not two, but one, with equal access to the Father. This is a picture of the church that Jesus is building amongst us today. So there's no second-class believers here this morning, however much you feel that. And so our interactions with one another need to reflect this. They need to show that this is what we understand. Here on a Sunday morning, during the week, wherever we find ourselves with one another, maybe even on a Saturday, sharing time. As Jesus cares for us equally, so we should care for one another equally. I think this is very timely to think on this morning after the impact of so many restrictions, the particular challenge to be inclusive with one another. How can we make our hospitality, our fellowship, be more inclusive? Well, we need to ask God's help that we would be those who, who are breaking new ground with one another in a way that's truly inclusive, welcoming one another on a Sunday, sharing time during the week, opening our homes to each other, not just to those we've known longest, not just to, but to those who are new, not just to a certain age, but the old and the young being treated and welcomed equally. Not just to those who are like us, but those who are different from us. This is hard, but we need God's help. that there would be an inclusivity, breaking down potential lines or barriers of nationality, of age, of families and singles, of couples. We need to pray. Let's pray now that we would give ourselves afresh because this is what Jesus is doing and he's our merciful and compassionate King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you now, having been reminded this morning of your great mercy and your great compassion. We ask that for your glory, your mercy and compassion would go to work on us afresh in our hearts, that we would turn to you and trust you for today, and that we would be made inclusive as a fellowship, looking out to all people with the good news of what Christ has done and caring for one another 
because that is what you are like. Refresh us, we pray, in this vision. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.